0: You're listening to the Weed Smart Podcast. Each podcast we look at what's going on in each cropping region focusing on those pesky weeds. Welcome to the Weed Smart Podcast. This is the second one for 2017 and you're joined by myself, Jessica Strauss and Peter Newman. How are you, Pete?
1: Very well, Jess, and how are you going today?
0: I'm good, but there has been some extreme weather across the country, both on the east coast with extreme heat and fires and in the west coast we've had flooding and record rainfall and you were in the thick of it recently. Can you tell us a bit about your experience, Pete? I
1: was, Jess. I was in the southwest of WA and it was Amazing because as you said, the east coast was sweltering 40 degrees, and I didn't take a jumper down there because I'm going into the wheat belt in February. I didn't think I'd need a jumper, and it was 23 degrees and belting down with rain, and even cooler than that. And yeah, I was in the thick of it. I was in Williams where they had ended up having 180 millimetres of rain. Wow, and uh, driving a Hyundai i30 down those roads without much rain was not pretty, so I had to cancel some meetings and things, and yeah, just watching water going everywhere was really quite amazing. It uh, showed just the benefits of having stubble cover. It was really important to holding those paddocks together.
0: Yeah. What was the response down there from uh, farmers and agronomists? Were they sort of surprised by all this rainfall?
1: I was staying with a farmer friend down there, and it was the biggest event he's ever seen. There's been another one other event a bit similar, but this was a little bit bigger, so he had never seen that much water running around his farm before. There's a lot of sheep farmers in the southwest and and it ruins the feed so that wasn't good And, and you get fence damage and road damage and all of that sort of thing so that's the negatives.
0: Even right up into the wine regions in the Swan Valley they got flooded so some of them have lost their whole crop. The vines have been destroyed, so it's really unfortunate. But, yeah, it's been one of those times where just such differences in the weather from east to west. Crazy.
1: Yeah, it was pretty crazy. What about you, Jess? You live near the river in Perth there. Is that pretty swollen up where you are, or is there any flooding up that way?
0: There is a bit around the Guildford area and sort of the beginning of... It's a bit noticeable there, but, uh, yeah, you can't really notice the effects further down the river going towards the city it's sort of not all that noticeable but okay yes
1: been back on
0: the bike yet? Yeah I actually did get back on the bike this week and I'm very sore. But with that tendon injury in my wrist I had to take the time off so it's been about 8 weeks since I've ridden my bike and even though I'm aware of you know having to get back in the saddle is going to be painful at the start you just forget about all those all those bruises and things that sort of you know it just takes a while to get back into it as you probably might know Pete if you've taken a bit of a break from cycling in the past.
1: It takes two weeks. After a couple of weeks, it'll all feel good again. Yes, and you just have to persist
0: through it. But this morning was rough. It was very rough.
1: (laughs) You'll get there.
0: But we've got some really insightful interviews on the podcast. Uh, we had chat with Dr. Chris Preston, who's the Associate Professor of Weed Management at the University of Adelaide. And we also caught up with Colin McMaster, who is the Research and Development Agronomist at New South Wales DPI. But first, we're going to listen to the chat with Chris Preston talking about pre-emergence. Pete, can you give a little bit of a background on why it's important to apply pre-ems properly?
1: Well, yeah, Chris is... Let's uh, a wealth of knowledge about about pre-emergent herbicides from both glasshouse studies and a lot of field research that he and his team do in South Australia, so uh, he has talked for the last few years to a a number of audiences about understanding some of these new ones about how soluble they are and how they move in the soil and how you need to uh, choose the right pre em for the right soil moisture conditions, I guess, uh, to get the best out of them. So it's great to hear from Chris with this updated information so that growers can really get the best out of their pre emergent herbicides.
0: Yes, it's important to always keep up to date because it's always changing. A changing beast. So let's take a listen to what Chris has to say. I'm chatting with Doctor Chris Preston today and we're going to be having a bit of an overview on pre emergent herbicides. They can be a little bit tricky to get your head around so it'll be really valuable Chris to get your advice on this topic. How are you? I'm well. Busy week for you this week as well, I, I, I've heard.
2: Uh, updates, updates are starting and uh, you know, her, pre-emergent herbicides are going to be one of the key topics in the South.
0: Excellent. We're more reliant now on pre-emergent herbicides and why is that the case?
2: Well, farmers have uh, for a long time used post-emergent herbicides, but the trouble has been that we've selected resistance to our key post-emergent herbicides in our key weeds particularly our grass weeds. And so when we're actually looking at doing something like trying to control annual ryegrass in wheat, we actually don't have any post-emergent herbicides that work. So farmers are really focusing now on pre-emergent herbicides and they're, of course, different to use and they have different behaviour than post-emergent herbicides. So you actually need to be thinking in a different way to get them to work well.
0: How do they actually work? Can you give a bit of an overview of what the process is with how they kill the weeds?
2: Well, most of the products that we're dealing with as pre-emergent herbicides work in the environment in that we put them out in the environment and then we're waiting for the weeds to germinate and the weeds pick them up after they've germinated. So they don't kill seeds As such they actually kill germinating seedlings and often what's happening is that we're looking at products that are going to uh, stop cell growth or have other impacts which mean that the seedlings won't actually get out of the ground so when we're thinking about that what we want to have is we want to actually have that pre-emergent herbicide in the right place for the weed seeds to pick it up as they germinate.
0: So how do people go about figuring that out what advice and tips would you give growers out there? Well, I think
2: if we look back at where we were 25 years ago in production of wheat in Australia, where most farmers were cultivating, of course, if you cultivated to kill existing weeds prior to putting your crop in, what you did was mix all the weed seeds into the soil. And then, of course, you had to get your pre-emergent herbicide mixed into the soil to make it work. We've got a tiny different environment now where, in no-till, If we're not cultivating, we're actually leaving those weed seeds on the surface or close to the surface. So that makes it a lot easier for us to actually get the herbicides to where we need them, close to the weed seeds. Right. The only complication we have is a thing called stubble. And so we need to be aware of how the herbicides behave around stubble, how they behave in the soil, and where the weeds are going to pick them up from.
0: Yeah, right, that makes sense.
2: So in our current system then, what we're looking at is we're looking at actually trying to put that herbicide down where those weed seeds are. So we usually have this system where what we call incorporated by sowing. So you spray the herbicide out in front of the seeder. That's actually the best way to do it because you're putting it right on the weed seeds. And then we're coming along and sowing. Some of our herbicides need incorporation, trifluorin being the most obvious example of that, so you've actually got to get a bit of soil throw with your seeder to incorporate that. And some of our herbicides, we need a bit of separation from the crop seed. So then again, we need equipment that disturbs the soil and moves that herbicide-treated soil away and out of the crop row so the crops doesn't get damaged.
0: And is there any other tips that you can uh, advise growers when they're applying these pre-embs?
2: Well, the other big key thing that we need to worry about is moisture and rainfall, and understanding how the various pre-emergent herbicides behave. So if we just talk about perhaps just three of the key ones, and then I'll mention a couple of others and slot them in. So sure. if we look at trifluralin, trifurulin is a herbicide that's not water-soluble at all, but the beauty of trifluralin in our farming system is that it actually works as a gas. So the weeds pick it up as a gas. So if we put that on the soil surface, it'll just stay there, until the surface gets wet we need to incorporate it to stop that gas drifting up into the atmosphere too quickly but that'll just sit and wait there until it rains and until you get enough moisture to actually germinate the weed seeds nothing much is going to happen so troferrin turns out to be a really really good herbicide for those lower rainfall environments and those patchy starts because it's not that affected by moisture because of the way it behaves if we look at sakura which is a a relatively new ryegrass herbicide for wheat it's got much more water solubility than trifluralin but it's not actually that soluble so we really need that to be sitting where the seeds are it needs to move a little bit down because it's going to get picked up by the roots and our problem with Sakura that we can have is in those dry starts where we get a little bit of rainfall and the surface dries out and the product goes down on the surface, then if we don't get rainfall to activate that, the weeds will actually germinate in the moisture under the surface and just grow straight through it. So it's a herbicide which is ideally suited to those wetter seasons and higher rainfall areas. And Boxer Gold is a mixture of prosulfocarb and s we actually concentrate on the s bit, it's quite water soluble. So you don't need nearly as much water to get that one to activate. So that actually works pretty well in those sort of in between sort of positions. So drier environments, and so long as you get some rainfall it's not too dry, it works quite well in that space. So sometimes we could think about choosing the pre-emergent herbicides that are going to suit when we're actually putting the crop in and what our season is like. So if it's been completely dry, then trifluralin, secure are your best options. If you've had rainfall, trifluralin and Box of Gold are your best options. The surface is dry. Are
0: there any other things which have come up that you think would be valuable for people to know about? Well the other aspect that we haven't
2: talked about of course is the length of control we get out of these products. Really they go Box of Gold shorter is a bit longer. Sakura is the longest. So again, when we're starting to talk about long seasons, Box of Gold as a prayer merchant is probably not your best choice. Trifluralin or Trifluralin mixtures and Sakura or Sakura mixtures end up being your best options. So Box of Gold tends to really be suited to those shorter season, lower rainfall environments where you're getting a bit of moisture. But then we've actually found another way to use Box of Gold which is a very early post emergent herbicide.
0: Yeah, right. And there
2: that has a real fit for those higher rainfall environments where we're going to get rainfall and it's a quite a useful tool for dealing with failures either due to environmental conditions or due to the fact that you've got, you know, unknown triferin resistance.
0: Oh, I see. So how do people go about when they're going to be planting a canola crop? What's your advice for pre in that situation?
2: Well, in canola, we can't use Sakura and we can't use Box of Gold. So, you know, that leaves us other products. So we have uh, propizomide, which is um, Edge or Rustler. We have a new product coming out this year called uh, Butazan for canola. And we have trifluorin. The best way to think about the propizomide products is that they behave like Sakura. So dry starts, dry environment, wet underneath, dry on the surfaces, doesn't suit it. Butazan. Butazan behaves a lot more like the s component of Box of Gold. It's very water-soluble, so it's going to be good in those dry seasons and drier areas. It's going to struggle in the very high rainfall situations because it'll be just too mobile and tend to go out of the profile, and it won't quite have the length of control needed. So, again, you've got a number of choices in your canola phase, and if you pick the products for the situation, you should actually get a good job.
0: Okay, I see. All right, well, that's really good advice. It can be a bit of a tricky subject matter, but I think people will be more well-equipped now to make the right decisions for their situation, Chris. So thanks very much. Yes, you're welcome. And have fun at Updates. Hope to. Luckily for us, the message that Chris has fits quite nicely with our mix and rotate messages we've been putting out through our channels. Can you give a little bit of an overview on why it's important to consider your options when it comes to mixing and rotating herbicides?
1: Yeah, well, it is. It's, it is consistent with our message, but for different reasons, I guess. So we've put out a lot of information about Roberto's work showing that there is a risk of cross-resistance between some of these herbicides, and our main message is to mix and rotate pre-emergent herbicides, so mixing two herbicides together. And what Chris has just told us is that there are certain conditions and crops that suit different pre-emergent herbicides, and there's also times when, like a Triflural and Sakura mix or trifluralin boxer gold mix is the best thing to do because of the soil conditions. So given all of that, it sort of means that growers are going to be mixing and rotating their pre-emergent herbicides anyway to get the best out of them for the soil conditions and that is also good from a resistance management perspective. So it is a consistent message and you know, in terms of resistance and in terms of just year to year, it is getting the best out of these herbicides.
0: And also important to just realise that what might be good for Joe blow up 100k's up the road will be different for you because everyone has different soil conditions and it's not always what's the best option for someone else is not going to be the best option for you. So it's good to be really insightful in what you choose and make sure that it's the right product. That's
1: right, Jess. Yeah, we obviously get rainfall patchiness all around the country don't we and and in one part of the wheat belt it might be really wet and other parts it might be a little bit drier and that's going to suit different herbicides.
0: And in fitting with our theme we're going to listen shortly to an interview we did with Colin McMaster talking about summer weeds. What were some of the points that you found Colin said were really important to take note of in this interview with Pete? Well, we've
1: known about the benefits of spraying summer weeds to preserve moisture for a long time, but Colin has really put some hard numbers around that and really shown just what a big deal it is to store moisture and nitrogen for the crop. And so, yeah, just spraying summer weeds, I think instinctively we've always known it's the right thing to do, and now Colin's got really hard data showing us just how big a benefit it can be.
0: All right, let's take a listen. I'm chatting with Colin McMast. He's a research and development agronomist at New South Wales at DPI. Firstly, Colin, how are you going?
3: Going very well, thanks Jess. Just come back from holidays and ready to tackle the year.
0: Did you do anything exciting over the holiday period? Uh, yeah,
3: we went to sunny Lake of and did a bit of water skiing out. Yeah, perfect way to spend the holidays.
0: It's always good to know what these weed scientists do in their spare times, a little insight into their lives. <laughs> but we're now in full swing of summer and treating those summer weeds, and that's what we're going to be chatting with you today about. And what I did want to ask you is most people probably who are working in this area or are farmers might have heard the comment which comes from you about buying yourself a, a spring and, and how this is really important and so I wanted to ask you where does that come from? That buying yourself a, yes. a spring.
3: Comment? Yeah, Jess, look that came from generally speaking in our environment we are we're, we're really sweating on the spring period, that we get some rainfall during that grain fill or that month leading up to grain fill. Quite often that can either make or break a, a crop and the profitability of that crop. So The truth is we can't do a thing about the spring period. As far as uh, retaining moisture, we can't make it rain. Uh, But what we can do is try and conserve as much moisture during the summer period and try and store that within our soil profile so those crop roots uh, have got access to moisture during that critical grain filling period. So certainly rainfall during the spring is fantastic, but we just can't provide it year in, year out. So we wanna try and conserve what we can during the the summer because we can control that.
0: For sure. So why is it so important, though, to manage summer weeds?
3: Essentially, uh, it, it's not only just moisture, traditionally, myself included, thought that uh, really the key drivers was just by retaining moisture, but it's also by retaining nitrogen as well. So, obviously, moisture and nitrogen are both key drivers for, for grain yield. so the more moisture we have during the summer period also means the more mineralisation of N, so that's going to be more free N, so the more nitrogen we have, the more tillers, more grains per head, and if we've also got the moisture that obviously means bigger grain. So they're obviously all key functions for a productive, uh, profitable crop.
0: And so obviously, yeah, retaining soil moisture and managing those weeds becomes really important. And you actually did some trials uh, from 2010 to 2013. Could you give it a bit of an overview of uh, what the trials were and, and what, and what you're looking for? Yeah, sure Jess.
3: uh, Effectively, this was part of the Water Use Efficiency Project, uh, which was GRDC funded. So we were working with CSIRO and Central West Farming Systems. And what we were trying to identify was what are the key drivers for retaining summer moisture and does that increase in summer moisture always lead to increases in grain yield? We ended up testing stubble management practices as well as various weed control strategies as well. And in a nutshell, the summer weeds was the really important driver for retaining uh, not only just moisture, but also nitrogen. And the stubble was less important. Still important in some years, but it was certainly less important than controlling our our summer weeds. So we had four different spray treatments for controlling the weeds. We had a nil spray, where obviously that had no herbicide application over the summer period, except for a knockdown just before sowing. We had a complete spray treatment, which is when after we had a significant rainfall event, so 10 days after a 25 millimetre rainfall event, uh, we applied herbicide. So this is where we're trying to be a little bit trigger happy and control the weeds when they're nice and small and easy to kill. We had a delayed spray treatment, which is trying to imitate what growers are juggling with. You know, do I spray now, or do I leave it a couple of extra weeks to allow more weeds to germinate? And then we also had a, uh, miss first spray treatment, which just basically missed the first spray. So they're the various weed control treatments we did.
0: And what did you find was that offered the best results?
3: Yeah, look, consistently, essentially, the longer there is a, a green, living plant growing over the summer, it's going to be taking out moisture and it's also going to be, just as importantly, taking out nitrogen as well. So for every millimetre of moisture that we lost via growing that summer weed, we also ended up losing about 0.6 units of N within that. So certainly the complete spray came out on top year in, year out, so that was controlling the weeds when they're nice and small and easy to kill. Look, the, the grain yield responses varied from, in some sites we've got a... Grain yields of ranging from one ton to two ton to the hectare. Uh, another site, we ended up going from two to four ton to the hectare. And in the canola, we ended up going from zero point five ton to the hectare to one point six ton to the hectare, just by controlling our summer weeds.
0: And so, for growers who might be spraying later on in the season because they're thinking they're saving money by killing those weeds, because there's more that have germinated, would you say that from these trial results, that's actually not the case? Then,
3: yeah, look obviously you need to go out after a rainfall event you leave it 10 days Uh, obviously go out and check to see if the summer weeds have have germinated you know use don't forget common sense the problem is by leaving it another two weeks after that before you check it is that if you get some adverse weather conditions that you can't spray uh, you're going to have some really big weeds to then try and control so they're going to be a lot harder to kill but you've also lost the benefit of controlling those summer weeds so you're still spending the money but you haven't actually got the benefit uh, because those summer weeds have already taken out moisture and nitrogen. Don't forget you're, you're losing nitrogen and moisture just in the weed carcass itself, but it's also drying out that topsoil uh, of moisture is also going to reduce the mineralisation of N. So that's the free N during the summer period, which yeah, uh, you really want to try and retain as much moisture as you can to drive that process.
0: And are there any other tips in regards to managing summer weeds and retaining soil moisture that you can offer growers? Probably the
3: the interesting thing that I found was that uh, we did it over a a diverse range of seasons. We had some really wet seasons and we had some really dry seasons. Now, uh, each year we still got a really good return on investment by controlling our summer weeds. So if it was a really return on investment range anywhere from every dollar invested returned either three dollars and up to eight dollars return just by controlling those summer weeds. so some really good return on investments from that and if it was a really wet year well the grain yields came from conserving more nitrogen even though water might not have been limiting certainly nitrogen uh, was limiting so that's where the grain yield benefits came from but in the the dry years the what drove the grain yield increases was the both the moisture and the nitrogen so it's kind of rare for one, management tactic to work across a range of seasons, but controlling your, your summer weeds, it seems to work across a range of seasons for those reasons.
0: Yeah, right. Yeah, so it really is a worthwhile pursuit. Yeah, yeah,
3: definitely. I very much encourage growers to have a very low tolerance to summer weeds.
0: Colin, do you have any advice for farmers who might have livestock as well? Is there any different tips that you might be able to provide them?
3: Yeah, sure, Jess. So, um, James Hunt, when, uh, from CSIRO, or formerly of CSIRO, and Neil Fattel did some work on that particular topic, uh, as far as grazing stubbles. And essentially what they found was that yes, you could graze your stubbles quite safely, as long as you leave, you know, around two tonnes of to a hectare of dry matter behind. The key was, was not to use livestock as the only form of weed control. So, make sure that you still, uh, control your summer weeds by spraying because actually letting the summer weeds grow and then grazing them off, they still actually still had to produce a weed skeleton, weed carcass, and therefore they've actually removed the moisture and nitrogens by growing that summer weed. So certainly you can use livestock uh, to graze your stubbles, but just don't rely on the livestock just to, to graze your summer weeds.
0: Very good tips, Colin. Well, thank you so much for having a chat with us today. really appreciate it.
3: No problems at all, Jess
0: was really great of Colin to give his time to explain the importance of spraying summer weeds and spraying them small. That was really a key message in there. Pete, why is that so important?
1: As he said, if there's a green plant in the crop, it's removing moisture and nitrogen. And what his work really showed, they had different times of spraying and it really showed the sooner you get in there and spray summer weeds, the better. And there's always that temptation for growers thinking, right, I've had a summer rain, okay, I've got some green weeds there." there might be another rain in another week, I'll just delay spraying a couple of weeks and then see if I can get them all in one hit and what they is saying is no it's actually better to get out there unfortunately and spray them when they're small and if you do get another rain then you might have to go and spray small ones again so look that is a bit of a bummer that the message is that farmers need to get over the paddocks more times potentially in summer but the data is showing that that's going to pay dividends.
0: That's right and that's really the core message there isn't it at the end of the day it's a little bit of an inconvenience but if it's really going to be putting money back in your back pocket then it's worth doing that's
1: right and it really everything that we do in agriculture should be just about that should I just putting money in the back pocket and and this spraying summer weeds uh, story is exactly what that's doing
0: and what about nitrogen that was something you don't always hear about pete can you give us a little bit of an overview of why it's important and also you know why it's not such a core message in some of those twitter sphere and in what we see about summer spraying it's not always in the messages
1: Well, I think, yeah, a lot of our focus in the past has been about summer weeds removing moisture, uh, which is right, and we didn't have any data about nitrogen, and Colin's done that, and was really interesting with his research. The bit that I found really exciting or amazing was that they had a really wet year, and they thought, okay, well, there's going to be no benefit from spraying summer weeds this year because it's rained so much in winter, the stored moisture will be of no consequence. And then they found this big nitrogen response, so, and even applying loads of bag nitrogen couldn't catch up. So really, it, it was quite amazing that in wet years, in wet winters, it is still worthwhile spraying those summer weeds just to preserve the nitrogen. And uh, yeah, I found that really very interesting because, like I say, we've we've talked about it a little bit, but there was no hard data, and, and Colin has really shown just how important uh, summer weeds are for you know killing them to preserve nitrogen.
0: Definitely, another important point to consider on the list.
1: <laughs> yeah, it is, but it's all quite simple, really, it isn't is. it? You've got summer weeds? go and spray them. <laughs> that's right. And that's, that's the simple message. Yeah.
0: And hopefully, the, the messages from Chris and Colin in the podcast today were helpful in making those decisions for people a little bit easier and we'll join you again soon in a couple of weeks but thanks again to Dr. Chris Preston and Colin McMaster for giving their time and you'll hear from us again soon.